0: Greetings, in Jesus' name, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. This is uh, part three of the series, and this is lesson 11 of part three of this series on Our Motives from God's Perspective. Today, we're going to talk about the two-edged sword of the cross. That may sound like strange terminology, but I think you will agree with that terminology in just a few moments. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, But God forbid that I should glory about anything save or except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ. Now, Paul is saying in Galatians 6.14 that what has seemed to be two crosses is actually two works of the same cross. So that's why I titled this or said the theme of this is the two-edged sword of the cross because there's not just one work of the cross in our life. There's supposed to be two works of the cross in our life. There's the work of salvation and the work of discipleship. And we don't become disciples just by teaching and training. We don't become disciples just by uh, experience. We become disciples by submission. A disciple, by definition, is a taught or trained one. But it, even a taught or trained one is not the full definition of disciple. A disciple is a taught or trained one that has a, a a personal relationship with the one that they're a disciple of. So I can know all about the Word of God. I can be an expert. I can have so many degrees, uh, theological and degrees and doctor of any degrees and this degree and that degree. I can have all that and not know God at all. I can be an expert in Greek and English and biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew and, 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 and all of that. I can be an expert in all that and not know God at all. I can be a bishop, not know God at all. I can be a pastor, not know God at all. I can be the head of an organization, and not know God at all. Right. So in the first work of the cross, Paul confesses that he has been made dead to his past life and sins. That the first work of the cross is to make me dead with my past. And that's what the Lord does. We can't come to him if by his word, his spirit, his name, his blood, uh, by his grace, that all that past is taken care of. From God's perspective, it's taken away. Now, sometimes from God's perspective, it's taken away, but we have a hard time believing it's taken away. I taught in part two about shame. We ask God to forgive us, but we can't forgive ourselves. We, 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 we want God to not hold us accountable and for there not to be penalty for what we've done, and he's willing to forgive us for that, but we still punish ourselves for what's happened to us, for what we've done. We can't let it go. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, in Christ Jesus. So the first work of the cross does this. The first work of the cross it it, it it gives me hope that I'm not stuck where I was. Even before I realized my condition, I was stuck. But God brought me out of that. He delivered me from the past, from his perspective. But I have to let him deliver me from that also from my perspective. I have to believe it was done. So all of that's first. That's what God does. That's what the first work of the cross does. It's the dividing line between our lost, being lost and us being saved. And everything God does to save us is the work of the cross. Our crucif- our repentance, which is, uh, being crucified, the old man being crucified is, uh, our repentance is, is a work of the cross. Our being buried with Christ and in baptism into His death is a result of what happened on the cross, and then our being resurrected from that burial to rise and walk and do this life is His Spirit that's made available. Because the Spirit wasn't available until Christ died, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And only after he ascended to heaven did he spend, send the Spirit of God back to us. And so, therefore, us receiving the Holy Ghost is a direct result of the cross. Because if he hadn't have died, hadn't have been buried, hadn't rose again, hadn't ascended into heaven, the Holy Ghost would not have been sent back. That's why John the Baptist said that uh, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. Matthew 3 uh, 18, I believe it is, at least one place. I need baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mine than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So Paul, or excuse me, John the Baptist contrasted what he did and what the coming one did. He said, I can only baptize you in water. That's all I could do. But the one coming after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So again, the cross. The cross is the is what made all of this available the death to uh, my old man in, in repentance, my burial with Jesus in water baptism. So I'm not only crucified with Christ, I'm also buried with Christ, and I'm resurrected with Christ. Praise God. So all of that happened in the beginning. But now that I'm born, now that I'm born, he didn't take away my sinful nature. I still have flesh and all of the propensities of flesh. And while I have the spirit in me, I still have self-will and I still have flesh. And what does God have to do to get me to be willing for him to do the work in me that will accomplish that? That bringing me to this place of spiritual maturity or bringing me to the place where God's purpose has fully manifested my life, so now that I can be his conduit, he can use me in the earth to fulfill his will in whatever place he has for me, just like he has a place for you. In the second work of the cross, uh, Paul said he was in the process of being dead to the present life and its temptations and becoming a conduit of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in and minister to this world. It's very unique how the Holy Ghost wrote this down in Greek. I doubt seriously Paul was uh, writing in Greek. He may have been, I don't know. But uh, the Holy Ghost chose these words. God forbid, Galatians 6.14 again, God forbid that I should glory save or accept in the cross of of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me now and I unto the world. So he didn't say by which? Because there were a lot of crosses, a lot of people died on the cross. So it's not just the cross, the wood, but the submission of Christ to dying on that cross, it's by his act of submission, his act of obedience. His not only dying, but dying on a cross that is doing the work in me. So by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The first was accomplished for him. All that was required for his participation was his faith in the cross, and his participation through obedience in what it accomplished. We're talking about Paul now. This first work of the cross, where Paul is made dead to his past life and sins, this first work of the cross was accomplished for him. All that was required for his participation was his faith in the cross and his participation through obedience in what it accomplished. But in the second work, the cross, I, I, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ, of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So, in the second work of the cross, again, uh, Paul is in the process of being dead to the present life and its temptations, and becoming a conduit of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in and through and minister to this world. So the first was accomplished for Paul. The second one required his daily submission to the cross and its effects upon him and his desires and will. So he was the pattern. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. First Corinthians 11 one. So he's the pattern. So these two things have to be the, true, the same for us. For us, the first was accomplished for us. All that was required of us was our participation by faith in the cross and our participation through obedience and what it had accomplished and provided. And what did it provide? The means whereby we could be buried, died, be buried, rose again in Christ the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the repentance, water, baptism of Jesus' name, and filling the Holy Ghost. But the second, the second work of the cross is us in the process of being dead, being made dead to the present life, and us and his temptations, and us in the process of becoming a conduit of the Lord Jesus Christ to, so that he can live in and minister to this world. Through us. But this daily, this second cross requires our daily submission to the cross and its effect upon ourselves and his and our desires and will. Now I realize I repeated a bunch of stuff several times there. It's necessary. This whole lesson's focused on this one verse. This one verse because this one verse is so critical in not only detailing the fact or, or, or declaring the fact that there, is a, or there are two works of the cross in our lives, one to get us saved and one not just to keep us saved. The second work of the cross is not just to keep us saved. The second work of the cross is to bring us to maturity so that we can completely fulfill the word of God and the will of God for our place in his plan in the earth. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If I am both a recipient of the benefit benefit of the cross to get saved, and the cross is still working in me to produce in me what I'm supposed to be, then everything is working together for good. That doesn't mean everything I would call good, but God calls everything good in the sense that, it's, that what it's doing is producing good. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to the purpose. It didn't say for them that love God and for them that are called according to purpose, but to, toward us. Because the goal is God's purpose. The goal is for us to love God. That's what salvation is supposed to produce. And the submission to our call according to his purpose. That's what both works of the cross are supposed to accomplish. And yes, the work of the cross always continues to keep us saved. But the work of the cross keeping me saved is not what, it's not enough to please God. He also wants me, that, that for Christ to be formed in me, for for me to be conformed to his image so that he can fulfill his plan and purpose through me. Now, well, as my pattern is, we're going to read some other translations of this verse just to g- again give us more detail and, uh, and, uh, uh, and another perspective, a couple different perspectives on understanding what the Holy Ghost is saying here and also, so that you will know, I'm not making this stuff up. This, I, this, I'm just just spewing this out. That there are scholars that agree that this is really what's going on here. Okay, today's English version says, "As for me, however, I will boast only about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by means of His cross, the world is dead to me, and I am dead to the world." Young's literal translation says and for me it is not let it not be the glory except of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which to me the world hath been crucified and i to the world the bible in basic english says it this way but far be it from me to have glory in anything save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which This world has come to an end on the cross for me, and I for it. Wayman's New Testament translation says, But as for me, God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, upon which the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. Let's look at the effect of the cross. I, I, I didn't intend to read these verses, but the Holy Ghost wants them read, so I am. Paul said that I, I wouldn't glory in the in, in, except in the, the cross of Christ uh, by which the world is crucified in me and I into the world but let's let's look at some parallel verses here but also the impact of this the impact upon our lives and ministries of, bo- of having both works of the cross effectively operating in our lives every day so Paul said in first Corinthians chapter two verse one and I brethren When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Let's go back a little bit here. Let's go back just a little bit, okay? Uh, Let's go back to uh, the first chapter where it says, verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made uh, uh, foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to say that they believe for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For you see your calling, brother. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakest of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brother. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound, confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in God. And I, brethren, Chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I didn't come in my own pedigree. I didn't come in my own will, in my own strength. I didn't come performing to gain your acceptance. I came in the cross. So I'm not going to glory except in God. I'm not going to boast about me. I'm going to boast about God. And he, so he says, here's, here's what this, this awareness that God didn't choose the high and mighty. He chose, though, that we're willing to be humble, that we're willing to be base, that we're willing to be viewed by the world as weak and foolish because they wanted God they wanted God's God to love them more than they wanted the world to approve of them so they gave up the, that from the world and they sought from God we're still talking about motives in all this series so he said I determined not to know I'm not I'm not only not going to glory except in the cross of Christ Galatians 6:14 but Paul said 1 Corinthians 2 uh, 1 2, 2 I'm determined not to even know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here's the outcome of that. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, I don't. it may have been the case, but I doubt very seriously that those who are watching Paul preach saw any of this. Because I don't believe he is speaking here of a physical condition a physical weakness, uh, a, a, a fear of preaching to them, and much trembling. I believe Paul was talking about the degree to which he'd been crucified with Christ. The degree to which he had come to a poverty of spirit, humility of spirit. A degree to which he had come to the revelation understanding that without God, he could do nothing. So, he stood before them in humility so that the, out, the, the people looking at him probably didn't discern this. But from his perspective, between him and God, he is communicating to God, I can't do this. I can't do this, but you can. You can do it through me, and I trust you. So he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? For the sake of my soul, for the sake of the people I minister to, for the sake of the loss of this world, for the sake of God and his glory. Here it is right here. My Speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? What's the ultimate goal here? What's the end point? What's the reason? Paul, not just for you, but as the example we're supposed to be following to follow Christ. What's the end point? That for this cause, for this purpose, on this account, that's the Greek word for there, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. You know what he just told you? He just told us that he had come by the grace of God to the point that he fully understand, understood that there was nothing he could do to save people. There was nothing he could do to change people. There was nothing. There was no contribution of his originated from him, by him, for God. that had any potential of having any impact whatsoever. So therefore, the only thing I want to know is Christ and the cross, he says. And I want to be fully aware of my weakness and inability to do what God wants to do, and then, and then. When he uses me, I want it to be strictly what he wants to say without any words or demonstration that would attract attention to me so that God would witness that this was him talking. God would bear witness with demonstrating his spirit and his power so that people would not be seeing me and they would not be putting their confidence in Paul, but they would be putting their confidence only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is the goal of all of this. That right there is the goal. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray by the grace of God, he would enable us somehow to be able to be conduits, to first be him be able to do the work in us and on us to prepare us to be that kind of conduit and that we would be able to submit ourselves to God for the purpose of allowing him to minister through us in such a way that he can have absolute confidence that we are not going to attempt in any way to take his glory and honor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray these things. I bless you with Jesus. Jesus name. Amen.